Part 3, Chapter 3 of Madame Bovary by Gustave Flaubert Translated by Eleanor Mark Saverling This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Part 3, Chapter 3 They were three full, exquisite days, a true honeymoon. They were at the Hôtel de Boulogne on the harbour, and they lived there with drawn blinds and closed doors, with flowers on the floor, and iced syrups were brought them early in the morning. Towards evening they took a covered boat and went to dine on one of the islands. It was the time when one hears by the side of the dockyard the corking mallet sounding against the hull of vessels. The smoke of the tar rose up between the trees. There were large fatty drops on the water, undulating in the purple colour of the sun like floating plaques of Florentine bronze. They rowed down in the midst of moored boats, whose long oblique cables grazed lightly against the bottom of the boat. The din of the town gradually grew distant. The rolling of carriages, the tumult of voices, the yelping of dogs on the decks of vessels. She took off her bonnet, and they landed on their island. They sat down in the low-ceilinged room of a tavern, at whose door hung black nets, they ate fried smelts, cream and cherries. They lay down upon the grass. They kissed behind the poplars. And they would fain, like two Robinsons, have lived forever in this little place, which seemed to them in their beatitude the most magnificent on earth. It was not the first time that they had seen trees, a blue sky, meadows, that they had heard the water flowing and the wind blowing in the leaves, but no doubt they had never admired all this, as if nature had not existed before, or had only begun to be beautiful since the gratification of their desires. At night they returned. The boat glided along the shores of the islands. They sat at the bottom, both hidden in the shade, in silence. The square oars rang in the iron thwarts, and in the stillness seemed to mark time like the beating of a metronome, while at the stern the rudder that trailed behind never ceased its gentle splash against the water. Once the moon rose, they did not fail to make fine phrases, finding the orb melancholy and full of poetry. She even began to sing, One night do you remember we were sailing, etc. Her musical but weak voice died away along the waves, and the winds carried off the trills that lay on her pass like the flapping of wings about him. She was opposite him, leaning against the partition of the shallop, through one of whose raised blinds the moon streamed in. The black dress, whose drapery spread out like a fan, made her seem more slender, taller. Her head was raised, her hands clasped, her eyes turned towards heaven. At times the shadow of the willows hid her completely. Then she reappeared suddenly like a vision in the moonlight. Léon, on the floor by her side, found under his hand a ribbon of scarlet silk. The boatman looked at it, and at last said, uh, perhaps it belongs to the party I took out the other day. A lot of jolly folk, gentlemen and ladies, with cakes, champagne, cornets, everything in style. There was one especially, a tall, handsome man with small moustaches, who was that funny. And they all kept saying, Now tell her something, Adolph, Dolphby, I think. She shivered. You're in pain, asked Leon, coming closer to her. Oh, it's nothing, no doubt, it's only the night air. 
And who doesn't want for women either, softly added the sailor, thinking he was paying the stranger a compliment. Then, spitting on his hands, he took the oars again. Yet they had to part. The adieus were sad. He was to send his letters to Mayor Olay, and she gave him such precise instructions about a double envelope that he admired greatly her amorous astuteness. So you can assure me it is all right, she said with her last kiss. Yes, certainly. But why, he thought afterwards as he came back through the streets alone, is she so very anxious to get this power of attorney? End of part three, chapter three.